How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcast and Vodcast, I should say. Um, I am joined by two fantastic personalities here uh, in our EMS industry. I have with me yet again, Dr. Peter Antevi, who is the medical director of several fire rescue agencies in Southern Florida. I am also joined by Steve Wirth, EMS attorney, partner at Page, Wolfberg and Wirth. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. Hey, great to be here with all of you. So guys, listen, today we're going to focus on a a very serious uh, topic, and that is the changing image here and and the crossroads we find ourselves in in EMS, specifically based on what we've seen happen over the last month or so here um, with respect to the fact that we've had five EMS providers terminated and two of those providers charged with murder, with the death of Earl Moore Jr. And, you know, I think that this sheds a lot of light on some of the changes that are going to be coming down the pipeline here in EMS and and where we're going to go here, because, you know, there we're starting to see things. And I mean that in the literal sense, we're starting to see a lot more than we ever did. And that brings about great, great ramifications to our industry. So, Today, I, I, we want to we want to focus on you know those implications to us, and we want to talk a little bit about these cases, which is why I have a great mm-hmm. medical legal split here with Steve and Peter. So, um, first, let's just jump right into the Earl Moore Jr. Uh, job that occurred in Springfield, Illinois, and um, you know these two paramedics have been charged with first degree murder, and uh, you know I think that everybody now has seen the body cam um, video of the gentleman who was, um, I believe detoxing and, um, coming across in a way where, uh, it it came across as if he were being, uh, a bit agitated, obstinate to the providers. And, uh, we saw their attitude and then we saw the way that the individual was placed on the stretcher where he subsequently passed. Um, and we know the reason now was from positional asphyxia. Let's get into this um, right away. Steve, talk to me about, I I know that you and and Doug have done a great amount of writing on this topic specifically, but generally, tell me what went through your mind when you saw this. I was shocked, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I looked at this and said, these are folks who don't represent our profession as EMS practitioners. Uh, Everything they did was wrong from the get-go. No assessment of the patient, poor introduction to the patient, um, and literally not carrying the tools of the trade to the side of the patient. A guy, you know, the partner outside with the stretcher, okay, uh, not even in assisting the partner and just the, the way they acted. It, it was all there for the world to see. And um, clearly, uh, this is a situation where, you know, someone was harmed as a result of this behavior. We're not here to judge, you know, in terms of the criminal action or conduct there. That's for a jury to decide. But look, anyone looking at that video, an average citizen looking at that is outraged by seeing it. 
for sure. Uh, you know, definitely disturbing. And we were speaking a little bit, you know, prior to jumping online that, you know, it, it makes you think that this is not something that was probably done for the first time, right? I mean, this was something that was caught on camera that everybody saw, right? So these are behaviors that have existed on what we believe have existed, unfortunately. And certainly those two individuals are not the only ones that are probably doing that. So from the perspective of taking him out of the house and placing him on the stretcher, a big no-no there, uh, you know, the way they did that. And Pete, if you would touch upon, you know, the positioning, the proned out positioning of that patient on that stretcher, the implications of that. I mean, most medical providers know that we're not doing this, but talk a little bit about that. Great. I will, Mike. And uh, before I get to that point, I want to just make a, a couple of points on the assessment, which uh, both you and Steve commented on. When, And I think everyone should watch the video from beginning until the very end, because what you Agreed. notice is that those police officers they knew something was wrong. They had zero medical background, but they detected that the guy was diaphoretic. They, they kept basically insinuating and trying to nudge this EMT that, hey, something's not right here. And even at the very end, did you notice that the police officers, they waited until they saw him get into the ambulance because they knew that there was something wrong. And they even mentioned, I want to watch him go all the way in there. So that mm -hmm. once the doors close and he's still alive, I'm done. Um, and I, and Steve's and Doug's articles on this have just been f fantastic. And the the big thing that comes up to me is the concept of implicit bias. And uh, Steve's article uh, talked about this nicely. Eric Jager from New Hampshire has some great information, and he spoke yes. at EMS World. Mm -hmm. It's the bias that people have that they don't recognize that they have. So. Um, oftentimes people will do this and they'll, they won't give pain control to, let's say an African-American, right? We know those numbers. And when you ask them, they say, well, I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm not racist. No, you're not. But it's, it's the implicit bias that people have that they don't recognize. And there's ways of understanding what your own implicit biases are. And I think that would be a good thing. Let's get now to the, to the positioning way back when I first started in EMS and we had the whole. Flaca and the term excited delirium, which we used to use back then, happened. And what would happen is that the police officers would get on scene. These people were uh, diaphoretic. They were tachypnic because they were so acidotic. And the first thing that these people would do, they would get handcuffed and they would get hogtied. And then they get a knee in their back. And within a minute or two or three, they're in cardiac arrest. And it's because, mm -hmm. and just like this gentleman, uh, Mr. Elmore Jr., who, who, you know, he also had cardiovascular disease. Maybe he was having a STEMI. Um, maybe he was hypoglycemic. We don't really know. Yes, we know that he had alcohol and THC found in his system afterwards. But in this particular case, you could see that he was short of breath. He couldn't make a sentence without, uh, you know, saying one, two, three words at a time at maximum. And so it was very clear that he was, he, he relied on every single breath and, and, and inhalation to actually oxygenate and then to exhalation to ventilate, right? And as soon as they simply put him prone and then they strapped him down like that and they removed all capability, now what you're doing is you're removing the ability for your, for your heart to actually refill and, and also to eject blood out into the rest of the body and you cause immediate death. So 
when I saw them treating him like they did and then saw them how they put him on the stretcher, wrapped him in a blanket and covered him and they strapped him down, um, I, I was horrified just like uh, you, both of you were. You know, and it makes you wonder uh, in a sense that George Floyd, Eric Gardner, all these things are very similar cases. Why are we not learning from these types of situations, right? From the perspective of the way that we go about our job, but also Mm -hmm. from the medical perspective, right? From the physiological perspective of what can happen if you do certain things. Why have we not learned this? That's the question. And what is it going to take? Is this going to be the Sentinel event for EMS? I don't know. I can start as a medical director. I think it's a wake-up call. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead, Peter. No, you Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'll start as a medical director, but Steve also wrote about this, and I I want to agree here that, you know, there has to be involvement from the medical director, both, you know, when you're doing the didactic training, hands-on, and also in the field, and you're also setting the tone of respect customer service. If, if, if we're not, you know, demanding that from our personnel and doing it in a, I'm the same way when they call me on the phone and they get me on the phone and they hear me speak to the patients all the time. And it's with respect. So I wanted to give uh, Steve uh, credit as well, because he wrote that in there. Like it's very important for the leadership to be involved. So Steve, go ahead. Yeah. So much of it is culture. And if you talk to anyone in EMS today, they will acknowledge if they're honest We've seen this happen many times, maybe not to this extreme. So that says we know where the problems are. Uh, you know, we know that the root cause of this is attitudes, it's implicit bias, it's lack of training, and it's inattention of leadership. We have too many supervisors out there on the street that look the other way when they see bad behavior because they don't want to confront that person. Then you've got the group dynamics at work, okay? The us versus them mentality. Here we go. That black person in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. on the sidewalk in a pool of vomit because they were drinking too much, that's the them and it's us. They're calling us again. You know, here here we go again. Uh, And it detaches us from the humanity of it all. Uh, And that's what we need to get back to. And we need more leaders like Peter, who's out there, you know, setting this tone and setting the uh, standard with his people and riding along and talking to them. And uh, we as leaders really need to get out there and uh, convey to our people that this is all about the patient. It's not about you. And do we have to remind people of this on a daily basis? We sure do. I got one little prop I want to show you, Mike and Peter, because you'll know this gentleman, uh, Andy, Andy Lovell from Gloucester County, you know, when he does, he's the chief over there in New Jersey. And when he does orientation of his new people, sets the tone right up front. He doesn't walk in with a policy book or an SOG manual. It's a two-page piece of paper that says Andy's expectations. Hey, my name is Andy. I'm the chief. Here's what we expect of you and how you conduct yourself at Gloucester County MS. Number one on the list in bold is patients and incident responses are not an interruption of our day. They are the reason we exist. You have to remind people of that every day. Yes, you do. Uh, So a lot of it's culture and leadership. And uh, we all each individually have a duty to act 
when we see somebody engaged in behavior that could harm another human being. I'll stop there. Get off my soapbox. No, it's not a soapbox at all, Steve. It's it's the truth. And you know, well, Andy is a, is a dear friend, and he's a great guy, and he gets it. And um, you know, similar, you know, to to what we do here in Bayonne. You know, when we get recruits, I tell them, listen to me. You this may be your thirteenth job of the day, but it's the first interaction that the patient that picked up that That's phone right. could be their first That's interaction right. with EMS, right? So if you are going to go up there and you're going to act like this is a disturbance to your day, right? Or this is a nuisance. <laughs> that's the way mm-hmm. they're going to perceive you, right? And 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 finally, if you if you go in there with that type of mentality or if you can put somebody in the back of an ambulance, but you wouldn't put your own family member in the back of that ambulance because the way it's dirty or anything else or the way that your partner looks or acts, well, then it's not good enough, right? And so these, I, I agree with you 100%. It's about culture. But I will say this, we have gotten away from just culture. I don't know if we were ever there, but we have completely manifested this mentality of, okay, well, what, is, what does law enforcement say to do, right? Ask them, follow mm-hmm. them, right? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be working together with law enforcement. We should. We should be integrating with them all the time. But we're gonna have to have we're gonna have to have a much more autonomous voice as from an EMS provider perspective and an industrial perspective. Whereas we are gonna have to make decisions, right? And not just pass it off on law enforcement. Because guess what? Some of those decisions that law enforcement makes aren't gonna be the right ones. They're not gonna be good ones. And you're gonna be looped right in. Yeah, absolutely. And this takes pre-planning, it takes policies with how to interact with law enforcement. And pre-planning before the calls, sit down and talk with them. And how do we handle this handoff, if you will? Uh, and then practice. You know, we practice mega codes, we practice uh, MCIs, we practice all sorts of things in EMS from a practical standpoint. But when's the last time you had a, a mock situation involving interaction with police and a patient in custody? We don't train that st- for that stuff, and we we need to work on that. I'm interested in what. Peter has to say about this one. Yeah, there, there's two two things that I learned while I was um, you know on the street with my folks in two, two different departments, and 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 both of them had to do with how PD had conveyed information to our folks as we arrived on scene in Florida. We call it a signal seven if 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 the if mm. the person's dead, right? So um, I'm at the station. We get the call, cardiac arrest. We get there, and um, we, we get out of the truck and the, the police officer comes right up and he just says, it's a seven, right? My folks made a 180 and walked right back on the truck. Now I said, wait a minute. I said, <laughs> officer, can you show me? And I, right. and I, so I walked in and, um, it was, it was supposed to be, they said it was a hanging and, and I walked in there and there was. There was no hanging. There was no, the, guy was, the guy just died on his bed, right? And then I walked out and I see the son crying. And he saw fire rescue come up. He saw them come out and he saw them go back in. So I went there and I talked to him. I asked him who he was and I, I, you know, um, I explained to him what had happened and I expressed my condolences. And then I, you know, I get back onto the vehicle and I said, guys, what happened there? Well, they said it was a seven, so we just left. I said, weren't you going to go in and at least evaluate the situation? So, Steve, I think you're right that 
we've gotten to the point where if you come to work thinking that, oh, this is just another body, right? This this is not a body. This mm-hmm. is a, this is a father. It's a it's a husband. Um, it's it's a sibling. It's it's a coworker. Um, and it, it's you know again, I don't know if I have the answer to you know, with all the the emotional items that are that are happening in in, in EMS. How do we how do we have people come and be that be extra every single day? And and the last thing I'll yeah. say is I love what Andy has done in the two pager. I'd love to get that. Um, I just did a four hour with my new recruits, and the first entire hour was on customer service, patient, how to speak to patients, and we role play, right? And I make them really understand that it's the number one thing that's most important to me as a medical director. I don't care how well you can intubate, place that, I don't care. I want you to be, um, you know, respectful, uh, compassionate and understanding of those people's situation. I don't care what color, what race, I don't care what time of the day, we treat everybody the same. Yeah, and and we like to say as lawyers, you know, you don't get sued because of malpractice or negligence. Oh, that's the claim they have to raise. They sue you because they don't like you, Mm -hmm. because you were disrespectful. You didn't pay attention to them. You didn't listen. They felt like they were treated like, you know, an inanimate object. Yes. And mm-hmm. those, when you look at actually, there's actually studies on this and depositions and that's the number one thing, you know, mm-hmm. lack mm-hmm. of courtesy, you know, and that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of doctors and paramedics who commit malpractice, but they're, they're nice and kind to their patients, but they don't get sued, you know, uh, so, so 100% about that. So, the, so, so Steve and Mike, I have two questions for you because in my career, I've learned two things. Okay. One is that, Certain people just don't know how they're coming across, and that's just how they were built, right? But and, yeah. and I think th- those people could be coached, right? If there's a coach to say, hey, you didn't come across that well. And I, I've tried to do that in my career for other people, and others have done it for me. But the second thing is, is now as we've gone through COVID and the last couple of years and the burnout and the, and the hours and the pay is not good and everything, that has yeah. really kind of stacked up on top of so even the good people are burnt out. And I wonder, as a mm-hmm. profession, um, do we have to take this to a whole nother gear and, and, and try to fix this situation? I think we do because as Mike started off this with five individuals have been removed, two are criminally indicted, and this is happening more and more. This is not a coincidence. I think this is becoming the norm because of the milieu that we live in today. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I I couldn't agree anymore. I was talking to Steve before you you hopped on, Pete, about basically what we're dealing with now, right? I mean, we're we're resource poor, we're staff poor. Um, you know, people the people that are working are completely burnt out. And I did say, you know, COVID has taken such an irreparable tax on this industry. We thought it was going to bring us out right and up to the stage and, and be, you know, the, the heroes, right? People were going to recognize exactly what we did. It didn't pay, play out that way. Unfortunately, it did during the moment. It was very, very in the moment. And then what happened is yeah. we went back to being unrecognized, right? And I think that that was the breaking point for the industry to say, you know, what, I don't know what it's going to take 
for us to be recognized. With that said, there is a complete contradiction now in how this plays out because you have this mentality, a provider who is not going to garner the respect of individuals because now those on the national news circuit, is they're seeing this. This is what they're seeing. That's what these people do. They go and they yell at that guy and they throw him on his stomach. So yes, we are in a very, very difficult spot. And I think it's time that we hit the reset button. Got to hit the reset button. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. I I think we were on a high there with COVID in the sense that the public appreciated us. They were putting lawn signs. Thank you, first responders. And and now this has set us back, okay, because it's visual. It's visceral, okay, when people see this stuff. So we got to invest in training. We got to invest in hiring the right people. We got to invest in our system design because, you know, Peter knows better than any of us how many people walk into the emergency department and really need to be in an emergency department. How many call an ambulance 911 and really need a 911 ambulance? We can navigate patients to other areas of healthcare. And I know, Peter, you've been doing a lot of great work in this area and you as well, Mike, up in New Jersey. But that contributes to the burnout. That's not a justification for somebody behaving badly to the point of being disrespectful and even hurting another person, but it helps explain it. You know, I like, I was listening to Gordon Graham recently, and he's a great speaker on risk management. And he says, you know, I always talk about the Titanic. And I always ask people, what, what happened to the Titanic? And everybody around the world knows about the Titanic. What happened to the Titanic? What did it do? Sunk. It hit an iceberg and sunk, right? But nobody talks about the root cause of how it hit that iceberg. The the failures of leadership on the ship, the failure of not having enough lifeboats, the failure of lack of community. The list goes on. It's it's interesting. We got to get under the skin and get to the root cause of what's happening here. I don't want to say throw out all the bad apples and get rid of them. That's not going to solve the problem. There's just going to be more bad apples to fill in. You know, some people have said, let's rid our system of people like the EMTs who responded to Earl Moore Jr. That's not going to fix the problem. And, and Steve, no. we have, it's comprehensive. No, I, you know what? Um, I love that Titanic story because if you think about it, when our folks go and they, they stay on the wall for three hours, right? Yeah. All that is is the hospital who can't, who's not hiring enough people because they can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they don't have throughput. Uh, you know, uh, management going well. So what do they do? They just, they, they, they close the hospital and they say, okay, uh, yep. paramedic, drive another 30, 40 minutes down the road to the other hospital. So they're, they're basically blaming us and everyone sees that as an EMS issue. It's not an EMS issue, right? Yes. Nope. It's exactly what you it's said. Not. It's all the yep. downstream effects that start from up there and everybody down the ladder is affected right down to the patient. And the patient's left mm-hmm. there standing, looking up saying, what the hell's going on here? Right? Yeah. What the yeah. hell's going on here? So I want to pivot a little bit from, from the Earl Moore Jr. to what just happened recently where we had um, the Tyree Nichols um, incident in Memphis where five police officers have been charged. And now three EMTs from Memphis have been terminated um, from service based on what occurred in that incident. Now, again, the, the body cam video came out. I'm going to hit on Steve to talk about this a little bit, but 
this situation wasn't as glaring, glaringly negligent in a sense that they didn't do something specifically wrong, right? Physically mm-hmm. to that patient, just the opposite. They didn't do anything, right? And so this is what I'm starting to be very curious about with the culture that exists. You know, it's that pack mentality, right? Like they just beat this guy up and he's the perp and, you know, we're going to stand over here, you know, because he's a bad dude and, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. no haste in this treatment. Steve, what, what, right. what did you see in this? Yeah. Well, I, I, the video is not real good in this case. It's not. And a lot it's of it's not. from a camera positioned a distance away, but what you clearly see are the two first responders from the fire department, uh, literally just doing nothing really and walking, literally walking away from the patient and to around this other side of the car to, to talk to the police officers. And while he's breathing and writhing in pain, you know, so that's a problem. It comes back to the basic uh, point that accountability, we're not only accountable for our actions or what we do, we should also be accountable for our inactions or what we don't do. And I, I have a good friend who's a seasoned medic up in New England and he's frustrated. He's my age, he's been doing this, he loves it. Uh, it he loves the work, yet he w- works with people in, in his company that say, well, we don't bring the first in bag out of the vehicle, we, we bring the patient out here. You know, it's gotten to the point, you know, we're not even taking the equipment to the patient. Um, and, and, and that's not doing our job, you know, that's being, uh, uh, you know, we need to be accountable for what we didn't do there, you know, and, and some people think they can get away with that. Um, so, yeah, lots of uh, issues to unpack there, but I think we're going to see more of these things. One of the things I want to mention, too, is sometimes EMS practitioners uh, think, well, I'll have immunity, you know, and we used to use a phrase in a lot of these cases, if you've got a bad apple crew that does something really bad to a patient, you're only one step away from a $10 million jury verdict. Well, it's more than that. We have to add to that. We have to say, you're one uh, call away from a $10 million jury verdict or a criminal indictment. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, you know, you're not immune from a criminal indictment. You may be a fire department based ambulance service and have government immunity, okay? And it'd be very hard to sue you or your agency for malpractice and negligence. And if they do, like in the state of Florida, there's a very low limit in terms of how much money you could collect anyway. But you're not immune from a criminal indictment and criminal prosecution. And that's what happened uh, with the Ermore Jr. case, because in Illinois, the crime statute there, murder in the first degree, doesn't require specific intent to kill another human being. Other states, it does. You got to look at each state. Every state has their own criminal laws and varying, uh, you know, crimes against the person that you can be charged with. So I think EMS practitioners need to be thinking about this um, because, um, you know, you could have negligent homicide, you can have involuntary manslaughter, you could have murder in the second degree, third degree. You know, every state's a little different, but you know, everybody needs to wake up here and say, hey, just because you work for a government agency, you're not going to be immune, you know. So anyway, I went off on the legal side a little bit, but I think it's important for people to know that because they wonder, how can that be first degree murder? They didn't intend to kill him. No, they didn't. But in Illinois, the statute says you commit first degree murder if you know 
that your actions create a strong probability of death or great bodily harm to that individual or another. Wow, that's a little different standard. That is so important. And I want Peter to touch upon that because we had spoken about that, Steve. And when we got on the phone call, I said, you know, murder one seems very, you know, contrived here because, you know, there, there was obviously no intent to kill him. And you said, well, time right. out, Mike, time out. Every state is different. And guess what this reads? And now my mind is like, right. And again, Peter, from your perspective, from a leadership perspective, from a medical director perspective, this is where we need better leadership. This comes down to better leadership, right? People taking that role seriously to pass down, to let people know, hey, listen, you're a sitting duck, right? Just so you know, this can happen to you, right? Is it, don't, don't play that game. What do you think, Pete? Well, I'll tell you what, this brings me back to the days where we were doing MCI training as, as EMS only. And it brings me mm -hmm. back to the, almost at the anniversary of Parkland, where fortunately we had, my, my chiefs had, had, the, had, the, had the foresight to say for years before we were training with PD, EMS and PD were training together so that the 17 people who were saved at Parkland where all those tourniquets and chest seals were put on by police officers and SWAT medics. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, mm -hmm. so we actually made that happen. And what, what I want to do now is, and we, we have something called MCI Monday, where uh, on Mondays we have, mm -hmm. a, we have an abandoned church, and it's PD, and it's EMS, and we've done it so many times that everyone knows each other. And what I want to roll into the next one is not a true trauma, you know, MCI, but I'm going to throw in one of these situations where we're going to have the police officers knowingly being bullying a patient. And then I want to see and not letting my medics know. Um, and I want to, see, I just want to see what they do. Right. And then it'll be a nice um, learning moment because we have Great. every, every police officer and every paramedic has to go through that training. And that's the teachable moment because it's easy to talk about it on uh, in a classroom. But when you see that in real life, just like when you see, now you come to our MCI Mondays and you see my paramedics wearing ballistic gear. They never would have done that. And your police mm -hmm. officers putting on tourniquets and chest seals. They never would have done that. It just took time. We have to put the yep. time in as leaders to make that happen. And again, what I'd like, yeah, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get some of those providers on a pod when you're done with that to, you know, to yes. gain a sense what they felt, right? I mean, because you're not going to lead them in on this. They're right. going to find this out for themselves. And I'd love to see, you know, how that plays out. But the truth of the matter is, guys, and, you know, I'm really grateful to have both of you on because this is the dynamic all-star team here and great discussion for the listener. I, I think that what this comes down to is, as I said before, we need to hit the reset button, right? And what you said, Steve, we, we can't, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We have these providers. Just because you have one or two bad apples doesn't mean the entire industry is bad, right? It comes down to how are you training them to move forward in this industry and recognize that, listen, we have been doing things poorly, right? And I, I can't stand that whole, and, and everybody has heard this before, but I can't stand that whole mantra of, well, we do it that way because that's the way we've always done it, right? And that <laughs> I think is extremely pervasive right now. We've always we've always done it that way. I mean, we've always deferred to PD, right? That's what you mean, right? We have to get past that. That's my takeaway. Exactly. 
Yeah, that's for sure. We can't just go along with the show. You know, uh, we have an obligation as EMS practitioners, if that's what we want to be called, we got to deserve that title. And that means engaging police officers and saying, hey, I, I, he's having trouble breathing. Let me in there and check him out. You know, simple things like that. But in a lot of these cases, there's that hesitation. And like you said, Mike, because that's the way we've always done it. And we've always had a clear demarcation there. It's a police call situation, police situation versus EMS. The lines are blurred. We need to decide, you know, let's talk about how that transitions and what Peter just said about role playing this stuff. This is exactly what we need to do. Okay. We actually need to create a clone of a lot of Peter Antevis and put them all around the country to run EMS systems. But that's exactly the kind of leadership that we need to do to engage our people and get their feedback and see how they act you know, in these situations. I, 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 I second I appreciate that. that. And, you know, uh, wouldn't this be a great topic for officer development? Like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a good high-quality MS system, you have officer development courses. I bring a whole slew of really <laughs> incredible EMS leaders, medical directors, friends of mine who come and talk about certain topics. I mean, this has to be the topic that if you're the officer and you're coming into a situation where things aren't going well, you have to have that leadership skill set to be able to turn the boat around. And again, your article, Steve, talks about this very clearly, that there are ways of, of, of turning this around. There's, there are certain phrases that you can say, hey, let's reset and let's actually check in on this patient to make sure that everything's okay. Um, but without teaching that, it, you, you, like Mike said, you get that pack mentality and then everyone just yep. – I've been through situations where I had to interview probably seven different folks from my team, one of which thankfully came in and made the right move. And when I, when I interviewed each of them separately and I asked them why they didn't say anything, it's because they were, they were scared of repercussions and that's right. We had to change the culture uh, to the other person who, who they were all worried about. And I said, I said to him, I said, if, if people, I said, all those people were worried about saying something to you, and that says something about you and your leadership that has to change. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. each individual has to be coached and helped throughout their career to make them better people. And you know, there there are many great EMS leaders out there who know how to do that, and we have to fulfill that promise as leaders. Yeah. Well, Jen, absolutely. I- I will, I will say this, that as bad as these incidents look and as bad as it happened in such a condensed period of time, the positive to take out of it is that hopefully it's a catalyst for change, right? So, you know, hopefully it, it, this doesn't just get pushed off. Hopefully things like this, you know, driving this podcast, right? And, and the articles that Steve, you're doing, right? With Doug and Peter, you implementing role-playing in these types of, hopefully- Right. There's a lot of good that comes out of this so that we can continue to move in the right direction as a profession. And again, yeah. I want to thank yeah. Steve Worth, Dr. Peter Antavi for coming on. And as long as and listen, I'm all about cloning Peter, but as long as he continues to come on and do some <laughs> podcasts with me, I have to make sure that that works out. So we'll, we'll, we'll schedule him. anytime. But listen, guys, thank you so much. And again, I think we will definitely have follow ups on this. Um, but great. again, I, I can't thank you enough for jumping on and, you know, importing such great wisdom about this topic. You both are amazing. Great to share the podium with you all. Thank you very much. You guys are great. That's fantastic. 
and listen, again, this is vodcast number two. Uh, Peter Antevi has driven two YouTube uh, channels here now with uh, with the EMS World podcast. So uh, you can check us out on the EMS World YouTube channel. And um, again, thanks for listening. We hope to uh, we hope to get back on real soon. And also, uh, we want to make mention that EMS World Expo is 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 coming upon us again. It is actually September 18th to the 22nd, 2023 in New Orleans again. We're back in New Orleans, so make sure you start to think about that. Register for it. Plan. We'll be down there. All three of us, I'm sure, will be down there. And uh, we look forward to seeing you, and we look forward to hearing uh, some of your comments on these things. So make sure you comment on the YouTube channel. Once again, I'm Mike McCabe. It's the EMS World Podcast. We'll talk real soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 